Good morning, everybody. Would you just give Whitney a round of applause? I, it is a, a supreme joy as, as her husband just to get to watch her. Um, love you. Uh, sorry, that's cheesy and stuff, but I'll move on. Um, yeah, my name's Trevor. I'm a member of All of Life, and it is good to be with you guys today. Um, now, we are in our final sermon on in this Abide series, um, and some of the goal for today is to wrap everything up, do a really brief survey of kind of everything we've covered so far, and then land the plane very squarely on Jesus Christ. Um, so today is going to be full of good news. Now, Really quickly, just to kind of give a, a quick overview of where we've been, rather than spend the majority of our time going kind of point by point and covering everything we've already said, I've chosen rather to hit some of the highlights in the beginning and then let you kind of like see them weave together in the person of Jesus as we land. Okay, so big highlights. If you could go to the next slide. Uh, very first week of our Abide series was A, attention. The idea is very simple that what we give our attention to shapes who we become. What you look at, what you watch, what you think about, what you pray, that is the direction your soul moves. And the big idea for that sermon was attend to God and be amazed at how he attends to you. The next sermon was bear lasting fruit through loving roots. This idea that the way to bear fruit is through abiding roots in the love of Christ. Excuse me a bear lasting fruit through loving roots. Jesus says, abide, remain, rest in my love. And through this, you will bear much fruit. And it is lasting, which leads us to the next point of in Christ, we persevere. Jesus says um, that two things will have to happen to branches or branches that do not abide will get cut from the vine they will wither and they will get thrown into the fire. But branches that abide and remain in the vine to a source of nutrition, they will bear fruit and yet the Father will still prune them so that they bear much fruit. And so the big idea is that life is still hard. Following Jesus doesn't make life like a game of uh, Candyland. It's still full of challenges and yet he is with us and we persevere with him. Um, last week we were in Depend on Prayer. And the big convert, we were looking at abiding through the lens of praying and what kind of praying posture does our father ask us to bring? And we really honed in on the idea that God is our father. And as a father, he, he actually cares about you. You, not a spiritual version of you, not a polished version of you, but you as you are. And that is the gospel. He says, while you were dead in your sin, a corpse floating in the ocean, I dove in and saved you. And that was the big idea, is that we come to him with our full selves embraced by the Father. And now, where we're at today is extensive joy in the love of Christ. And there is joy to be had. Um, this is uh, our, our verses that we're honing in on. This is John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide, remain, rest in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things, everything before this, I've spoken to you that my joy, Jesus's joy, would be in you, in us, that your joy may be full. Jesus is honing in on giving us joy. 
He's spoken all of these things so his deep abounding joy would be in us. Now, the, the rest of our time together, we're going to use a counseling tool that some of you guys have probably used before if you've been part of Olive Life for a long time. We haven't used this tool very much in the last two or three years, so it might, it's kind of out of use, but I think it'll still be familiar. Um, and the reason we're going to use this tool is what this tool does is it takes like the ideas of the gospel and it brings them into contact with our real life hearts. And then when you take the gospel and you bring it into contact with your real life hearts and you add a little bit of power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden you get healing and transformation and freedom. Now, um, something I want to point out, you might be thinking, well, I already follow Jesus. I already like, I know the gospel. Followers of Jesus regularly preach the gospel to the unevangelized territories of our hearts. You are saved. You know the gospel, and yet your heart needs the gospel. Um, so this counseling tool is built on two kind of big biblical realities. The first one is what we just said, and this is uh, in actually reiterated by the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. And he says this. This is Paul, the apostle. I do not understand my own actions. I don't do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members or my body another law waging war against the law of my mind. And it's making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the, the big point, like big biblical reality number one is it's possible to believe the gospel, to love Jesus, and still have parts of you that need the rescue of Christ. That is possible. The second biblical reality is that your roots determine your fruit. Um, Jesus says this in John 15, verse 5. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers. The branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. That same idea is almost in duplicate in Jeremiah chapter 17, the book of Jeremiah, written by a prophet 550 years earlier five and a half centuries before the life of Jesus, Jeremiah wrote this. Would you read this with me? This is Jeremiah 17, verse five through eight. Would you read this with me? Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Does that feel oddly familiar with Jesus's language? Now, Here's the counseling graphic that we are going to be going through. It'll be on the screen behind me. Basically, this is a visual rep representation of what Jesus and Jeremiah are saying, is that if you have one source of life, you will unfortunately turn into a withered and dry tree. 
If you have another source of life, you will turn into a vibrant, flourishing tree that even when pain and drought and harsh circumstances come, you will bear fruit, even as your father prunes you. Now, um, to make this a little bit more helpful, I've actually printed out this in, so there's little worksheets in front of you. If you wanna grab those, you'll notice that there's two sides of them. Um, one of them is for you to use today if it's helpful. I know a lot of us like to take notes, so this kind of saves you from having to cram it on a little notebook piece of paper. And it also has a backside, which I'll explain later. So um, I hope that helps you. If, if anything, maybe it's just a, a visual thing you can follow as we move along. So in this graphic, and I would say in Jesus's way of viewing the world, there's two options. If you have your roots in something that d will not sustain you, quote, apart from me, you can do nothing. Quote, cursed is the man whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert. Then you will become a withered tree without fruit. The other option is have roots in a source of life. And that source of life will sustain you and nourish you and grow you. And you will become a flourishing tree bearing the fruit of love. So this is the framework that we're going to use to wrap up abiding. Um, I'm not going to give much more explanation for the tool itself. We're going to use it together, and it'll, it'll make sense. It's pretty simple. Now, here's the, the big concept of this, is that the upper part of your tree, the fruit, the fruit of our lives helps us identify what we are rooted in. You're like tracing the evidence of your life down to find out what you are actually rooted in. And so interestingly, the counseling tool doesn't start with the fruit. It actually starts with the heat. So you'll notice on the next slide, there's a heat, a sun that bears heat into the situation. And so the heat for you right now might be, oh man, the situation is my church is talking a lot about abiding. And that's gonna have a different effect on all of us. Some of us, it might have like a really encouraging, warming effect. My, my church is talking about abiding. Some of us, it might be, man, I've never even heard about this before. I'm totally out of my league. What do I do with this? What does abide mean again? And so this is, the situation is gonna be different for all of us, but this is the, like, the, the bubble that we're in, right? So then the next question is, what fruit is coming out of the situation or what fruit is present in the situation? So um, that leads us to the top question on the left. What do I do? In the situation where my church talks about abiding, what am I doing? What is the evidence of my life? Um, it could be that you're like desiring it, you're attempting it, you're learning about it, you're excited. Could be you're approaching it for the very first time. Could be it's hitting you and it's like just bouncing off, not super interested, don't need it. Again, it's gonna be different for all of us. But I would assume, based on my own experience, for a lot of us, when we start talking about abiding, it's hard. It's just, like, it's challenging. It requires new habits, new mental pathways, and it is hard. Again, in Paul's words, I don't do what I want to do. I do the thing that I hate. What's wrong with me? This is not an abnormal Christian experience. And so the crux for the rest of today, if abiding is hard for you, the crux is that we will not abide. We will not be eager to abide if we have a small view of Jesus. And we'll explain that as we work through these next four questions together. So some thorns when it comes to abiding, things that I do or feel given this situation. I know I should, but it's just hard. 
it just gets crowded out. I've got a lot of priorities. I'm juggling a lot of responsibility. I've got kids, my own business. I've got a lot going on, and by the end of the day, I just didn't get to it. Could be, like I said, we're just disinterested. Man, I heard all the sermons. I've seen it on the pages of Scripture, but, meh. I don't know if I really believe this, right? That could be what's going on. It could be we're actively avoiding contact with God. We hear all this stuff about heart contact with Jesus. And we think, I don't really want my heart to contact Jesus. I'm mad at him. I'm angry. I'm like, I've got a, a, a bone to pick before I come into heart contact. It could be the opposite. Maybe you're hurt by him. God, where were you? Why didn't you? How come? And so I don't want to, like, go into your embrace right now. I've got something between us. For many of us, there's probably a feeling of being undeserving. But I'm not good enough. Like, I, I kind of understand Jesus, and he's holy, and, and I don't know if I deserve that. Like, I've been trying and trying and trying, and I just keep failing and failing and failing. And so how do I, like, how do I come into heart contact with him when I just feel like I'm failing? And that could be you if... You're like the good kid, right? And you're always trying to do really well and you don't, you don't feel like you're living up. It also could be the, like the far other end where you're the person who's done things that are truly evil. And so going to a righteous God is terrifying. And if that is you, you are welcome among us. I think many of us have this undercurrent of doubt, like, okay, if I pray, if I ask, will God actually show up? will he actually do anything anyways? Like, am I just wasting 30 minutes that I could be doing something other and more valuable? Now, right now, I hopefully, hopefully you feel this. I'm being really blunt, right? Like, I'm not trying to pull punches here. And I'm being blunt for the sake of honesty, not for beating anyone up. So if you're feeling that bluntness and it's coming up as defensiveness or shame, please do not let shame stop you because what we're doing is we're finally getting to the real life stuff that the real Jesus really cares about, right? So we're being blunt so we can get to the heart of the matter so we can bring this before Jesus honestly. Now, with this and we're wrestling, some of what's going on is there's different levels of belief. Uh, Catholic theologian Michael Novak um, talks about belief in three categories. Uh, he calls one public belief. And he says public belief is the things that you want other people to think that you believe. If you'd go to the next slide, please. Public beliefs are the things that you want other people to think that you believe. Private beliefs are the beliefs that you think that you believe. You think you believe these things until they're tested. And when they're tested, it reveals your core beliefs, the things that you actually believe. Uh, Christian teacher John Ortberg says this. He says, core beliefs are revealed in our daily actions based on what we actually do. These are the mental maps that we follow. We will always act out of our core beliefs and we will never violate them. For example, we believe in gravity. And so you would not walk up to the edge of a 100-story building and walk off because you believe in gravity. And even John Ortberg allows for those who wish to harm themselves. He says they are believing a different kind of core belief. Now, what that's saying is our actions and our struggle reveal what we actually believe. We think we believe one thing until it's tested. And then our actions point us to what we truthfully believe. 
So it might feel like your actions are out of alignment with what you believe, but what's happening is your actions are revealing what you believe at a neurological level, outside of your conscious mind. Now, here I would say, please do not give up because there's good news. The good news is that the core beliefs of our hearts can be rewritten and the neurological paths of our brains can be rewired. So the thorns that we're talking about, here's some of what that reveals. And that leads us to the second question on the left-hand side. What do I do? What does that reveal about who I think that I am or what at a core level I believe about who I am? So again, I know I should, but it's hard. Abiding just gets crowded out at the end of the day. I'm not super interested. All of that reveals at a deep core level, I'm pretty self-sufficient outside of God. If you are avoiding God because you're angry with him, he should have, or maybe you feel hurt, God, why didn't you? What that's revealing at a core level is, I believe that I am judge over what God does. He should have. He was wrong because he would have done this if he cared this way. Could also mean that we believe that we're actually the victim of the situation. I'm either judge or victim. God has been unloving towards me. He has been suppressing me. He has not been meeting where I'm at. I'm the victim of his justice, absence, etc. If you feel like you're not good enough to be loved by him, whether it's because you are just like trying, 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 or because you've done really terrible things, what that could be mean is that a core belief we believe, my opinion is more valuable than God's. God tells me, I forgave you. I cherish you. You are my child. And I say, I know but here's what I think. At a core level, we're saying my opinion matters most, which leads us to the next core level of what has God done for me or in the world? If those previous things are true in my mind, what does that reveal about the core belief of what God has done? It means he's done very little. He hasn't created any opportunity for new life, for change in me, He hasn't done anything incredible or interesting in the world. It's not worth my attention. If you feel like either the victim or the judge, you're probably believing that what he's done is he's caused a lot of problems, whether that's through his active putting hard things on people just to make them stronger, or he's caused problems through his absence. He hasn't been willing to step in. He didn't stop the natural disaster or the sickness or the war. If we believe that we're not good enough in his presence, it means that he's given you a set of rules, but he's not helped you live up to them. He hasn't freed you from them, empowered you to live by them. All he's done is been harsh with you. That's what he has done. So then the fourth question on the bottom, well then who is that kind of God? Who's the kind of person that does those things? That kind of God is irrelevant. If I'm disinterested in him, it's because he is irrelevant. He doesn't understand modern life and sensibilities. Yeah, he's got some good teachings, but he's kind of slow. He doesn't get what my life is like. The God who gives me just rules and no assistance, he's angry and grumpy. His expectations are too high. He's supposed to fulfill our prayers, right? But he doesn't, or at least he doesn't do a very good job of it. That's what this God is like. 
And if I do show up to abide, I'm putting in the effort, I'm putting in the miles, he just probably won't show up anyways. It's not worth it. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus kind of like softens this God's edges, where God's like lays down the law and is harsh and, and powerful. Jesus comes in, and he's like, no, God, I love you guys. Don't worry, I forgive you. And Jesus is softening God's edges. And so Jesus is nice, like we appreciate him for that, but ultimately he hasn't done anything for us, right? He hasn't provided anything interesting. So all he is, is nice, but irrelevant. When Jesus in John 15 says, my joy may be your joy, like the joy that he offers, if, if I'm disinterested in him, the joy that he offers is probably that like semi-boring religious joy with like the angels on clouds with like the bow and arrows. Like that's, that's like the boring religious joy that Jesus is talking about. Cause I don't like, it's not that compelling, Jesus. I don't got time for that. What we've decided in this core belief is God and Jesus are cumulatively boring. Now, if we're being honest, I believe this is a core belief that we often live out of, and we know this is true because it explains everything. If time in God's presence is a low to mid priority, our core belief is that he is not that interesting. Does this ring true? Now we reach a point where there's danger of compensating. We, we see this and we go, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, that's what I believe. That's what my actions point out. And we feel bad and so the first thing that we might wanna do is compensate. And that says, oh shoot, my roots are unhealthy. Let me try harder. Let me fix myself. And so what we do is in the, the like fruit example, we like take fruit and the behaviors that we think we should have and we staple them onto our withering tree. Or we duct tape, we go to the grocery store and grab an apple and we duct tape it onto our tree. But what's the problem with that? It rots, right? <laughs> it doesn't, we're not bearing fruit, we're just like pretending fruit. And we're constantly trying to reattach that rotten molding fruit. And that is an unbearable load. It is a spiritual treadmill with no peace, no rest, and no freedom. And it is not the answer, nor is it what God is asking of us. The goal here is to go to Jesus. To bring, again, our real life hearts and ask the Spirit of God to rewire them to bring us freedom and healing and transformation. Jesus in Matthew 11 says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, not a spiritual treadmill. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when we identify the fruit and we look like we look down to the core we come to Jesus with who he really is, with who we really are, and he changes everything. So we, in looking to Jesus and coming to Jesus, what that means is we look to the cross. 
We look at the life of Jesus, which is the next part of this counseling tool. When we look at the cross in this picture, and when I say cross, I don't just mean like the, the symbol or the act. I mean like the, the lived out person of Jesus, including his sacrifice on the cross and his death, as well as his resurrection and his ascension. So at the cross, who did Jesus prove himself to be? He proved himself to be both fully God and fully man. He proved, as John chapter 1 says, he was the word of God that was before all things, and all things were made through him. And so he is the creator and the designer of the cosmos. He, through his life, was revealed to be the king of kings. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he proved it. The man, Jesus Christ, the last thing he is, is disinteresting. The last thing he is is boring and powerless because think of his life. He cast out demons with a word. He commanded winds and waves to be still and they obeyed. He healed broken limbs. He healed leprosy. He forgave people as God of their sins. He stood up to aggressive and abusive spiritual leaders. He put them in their place. He went to battle with Satan in the desert and he won. He taught philosophy that upturned the economy of the world. He told jokes. He threw parties. People loved this man so deeply they were willing to be eaten by lions or burned at the stake. He was not a boring man. He was compelling and powerful and truthful, and people loved him. And when he went to the cross, the cross was not a defeat. That was this king's fierce act of self-sacrifice for the people he loved. Jesus' own words in Matthew 26, this is my blood of the covenant. It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. It was not a defeat. It was a victory. This man is admirable. This man is lovely. He calls himself the door to life. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, all who knock can enter. And when he says his joy can be our joy, the cross, the life of Jesus shows us what was his joy. Was it deep? Was it shallow? What, was it because he had a really good frittata? Was it because something amazing happened? Like, what was his joy all about? Luke chapter 15, he actually tells a story. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep loses one? Which man of you doesn't leave the 99 behind and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And then when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and his neighbors, and he says, rejoice with me. I found the sheep that was lost. Rescuing his people brings Jesus joy. And we see this again in Hebrews 12. He says, for the joy that was before Jesus, he endured the cross. Rescuing the people he loves brings him joy. Jesus also gets joy from being with his father, Acts chapter 2 tells us that Psalm 16 was all about Jesus. Quote, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart, this is from Jesus' perspective, therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. And then Jesus himself tells us in John 15, back to our abiding verses, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, so abide in my love. 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. It is joyful that my Father loves me, and I love you too. I want to share my joy with you. And you'll recognize this next language. Keeping heart-level contact with Jesus is what makes the difference. Keeping heart-level contact with Jesus is what makes the difference. Because if we have that reciprocation, then if Jesus enjoys and gets joy from rescuing his people, we will get joy from being rescued. And we will get joy from watching him rescue others. And if Jesus gets joy from experiencing the love of his Father, then we will get joy from experiencing the love of his Father, the kind of love that is never-ending, perfect, heart-restoring. So back to our counseling tool, if all of that is encapsulated in the person of Jesus, that's a lot, I know, but if all of that is encapsulated in who he was as a man, fully man, fully God at the cross, what does Jesus as bridge tell us about who is God? If we start at the bottom again and work our way up, who is God revealed by Jesus at the cross? One, it's revealed that they're unified, right? God and Jesus are one. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. I am here to tell you the will of my Father. We are unified. And Jesus confirmed that God the Father loves his creation. Jesus confirmed that God hates sin, evil, and everything wrong with the world so much he was willing to give his only son to rescue people from it. The life of Jesus is evidence, irrefutable evidence that that is who God is. And so Jesus proves that the Father is not uncaring. He proves that the Father is not distant. He proves that he is not apathetic. He proves that God is not unwilling to step in and do something drastic. He drastically stepped in and gave his only son. So what has God done in the universe? If all of that is true, what has God done in the universe through Jesus? He's proven his love. God has proven his love. That is a huge theme of John 15. Abide in my love, remain in my love. My father loves me, I love you. Remain, remain, remain. Love one another as I've loved you. Love is a huge theme and God has proven it. God has, what has he done? He has sent his son to die in our place, to pursue us when we run away, to clean us and forgive us. He sent his son to kill our sin. He sent his son to heal our wounds. He sent his son to secure your place as his child, not through your effort, but through the son's righteousness. Through his son, he gives us new identity as children. But not only that, through Jesus, he has sent the helper, the Holy Spirit. He has sent his spirit to offer power. He sent his spirit to offer transformation. He sent his spirit to speak to you. He sent his spirit to abide in you. He sent his spirit to never abandon you. I will be with you always. So if all of that is true, who God is and what he's done in the world, then who are you revealed through the cross of Jesus? The cross of Jesus reveals that you are loved. No, really. It proves that Jesus loves his people. It proves that you are a son or a daughter of the king and that he actually wants you. He proves that you are not a burden or a failure 
He proves that you are a branch securely attached to Jesus the vine. He proves that you are in him and he is in you. He proves that you are being made new like Christ. In the words of Ephesians, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirits of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So if all of that is true about who we are, what kind of stuff do we do? First, like we align ourselves with the Jesus and his teaching. We, we let him change our opinions. We let him change our habits. He has authority. We want him to do that. He's proven he has our best interests at heart. We also abide. And abiding in this framework is more than a practice. It's more than only something we do. It means that we remain attached to him. That we rest in his righteousness. That we do not let ourselves become detached from him and his love. But it also means we do abide. We spend focused time and we spend it eagerly because he's the most interesting man in the world. Who else would we want to spend time with? What else would we want to do? And so through abiding, we open our minds and our hearts to him all day long. It's not an on and an off kind of abiding. It's a regular sharing of ourselves with him. It also means that we kill sin because it is gross and ugly and we hate it. But we do that safely because Jesus has proved that your sin will not separate you from him. So your sin does not need to be dealt with in isolation. It does not need to be dealt with with shame. Your sin is dealt with in the full presence of Christ because he's proved that he has forgiven you. He's proved that you are acceptable to him, not based on your righteousness, but based on his. We also suffer and yet remain sturdy. Jeremiah says there will be heat and drought. Jesus says there will be pruning. But we know that he will be with us, that we will be like trees planted by streams of water and we will continue to bear fruit. We also begin to have excessive joy, specifically in the person of Jesus. It's not a detached, vague kind of joy, but it's a joy that abides in Christ. It is attached to him. It remains in him. It is from him. And in Jesus's final words, we love one another. John 15 verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. And when I say that, that's not like the boring kind of love. It's not like Hallmark kind of love, but like this is the love of Jesus, the deep transformational self-sacrificing Jesus emulating kind of love the love that the most joyful, interesting person that has ever existed had. And you will remember these words, that the opportunity to bear much fruit is too good to pass up. This is too stinking good to miss out on. With this counseling illustration, there's a hard edge, and you will hear this in Jesus' same words. What happens to this picture if we began up at the thorns and all the hard stuff and we worked our way down through some really like pretty terrible core beliefs, true, 
like they're hard to acknowledge. And then we bridged through the person of Jesus into a new kind of tree with new roots. What happens to this picture if you take the cross out? Then we're left with only one option. There is no bridge. There is no gap. Our roots are in something false and we have no way to save ourselves. In Jesus' words, the alternative to fruitfulness is judgment. And these words were not said by Jesus with an attempt to manipulate or coerce. They were said by Jesus, the man who proved his love. He said them to enlighten and to save. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. There's no bridge other than me. And those branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. And so, if you are not, like, if you don't believe in Jesus, like, the last thing that I hope you hear is, go home and try to replicate Christian behaviors. Go home and figure it out. The invitation from Jesus is to receive a new heart, to receive new roots, to begin trusting in Him. But that receiving a new heart—that's a journey. Not in behavior, it's a journey that takes you down to the root. Down to the very core of who you are in the unseen places. And that is a journey that rewrites that he actually cares about you. A new core belief. You're not alone, you're not unloved, but the God of the universe cared so much for you, he proved it through sending his son. He proved it by taking all of the sins and the failings of those who believe in him and dying for them on the cross and then giving us brand new life and brand new hearts through his resurrection. And so if you are not part of this root in Jesus, if, if he is not part of your picture, I would just ask, like, would you let us be part of your journey? We wanna care for you. If you came with a friend today, would you talk with them about it? I personally would be honored to speak with you and get to hear your story and share Jesus and his message with you. You can fill out a connect card and we can follow up later if that is easier. But I would ask, would you please? Now, one final note before we end our time. Um, abiding, especially last week, because I was teaching about prayer it was really easy for me to think that abiding equals prayer, specifically like focused prayer time or Bible time, right? Um, and abiding, just to be really clear, abiding does not equal quiet time, though quiet time is part of abiding. Does that make sense? Abiding is more than quiet time, but quiet time is definitely necessary for abiding. To abide actually means to remain or to rest, or to stay in, to be at home in, to stay connected to. And so if I were to illustrate that, because I can, here's what that would look like. This is you. This is deep abiding roots in Christ. If quiet time is our only view of abiding, this is what it looks like. Good morning, Jesus. Oh, hang on. 
Good morning, Jesus. I love you. Thanks so much. I really got a lot out of your word. All right, talk to you at lunch. Hey God, it's noon. Just checking back in. Thanks so much for loving me and giving me grace. I just, I believe in you. Thank you so much for the freedom you've given me. All right, talk to you at dinner. Grace. <laughs> God, thanks so much for everything that happened today. I just pray for tomorrow. All right, I love you. Good night. If quiet time is our abiding, that's what it looks like. And I think the image that Jesus is asking of us is remain in me. Father, good morning. Thank you. I love you. God, I'm nervous. God, I'm scared. What do I do about this? Okay, it's lunchtime. What should I be doing? God, thank you. Thank you for freedom. Thank you. Ah, yikes, my boss is yelling at me. Ah. I think this is the picture of abiding that Jesus is asking us to embrace. Attend to the Father and be amazed at how he attends to you. Now, the back sheet of that worksheet is for you to take and do at home. We need to be really general and vague and fast. But if you are struggling with abiding, whether that means quiet time or this kind of abiding, the regular abiding, I would just, it's probably really helpful just to do this at home. And it might be an hour or two. It could also be 10 minutes. I think whatever you give it, it will be fruitful. But the final note I want to say on that is everything we're talking about now, the, the fruit to root diagram we've been using, the, the revealing of our core beliefs, this is not the father disappointed in our failings. This is the father that is excited to free you, that is excited to breathe new life into your heart, that is excited to give you new lasting roots. And this process of revealing our core beliefs. This isn't a one-time thing and now you should have it figured out. This is regularly preaching the good news to the unevangelized parts of our hearts, to the core beliefs that reveal themselves through our actions. Following Jesus is a lifetime of surrender, a lifetime of asking for forgiveness, a lifetime of abiding. Would you pray with me? Father, um, I've been praying this a lot this past couple weeks, but this sermon series on abiding, would you help it to be more than just an interesting topic, but would you, Holy Spirit, change us in this community, this little pocket of people trying to follow you, working with our inner failings and doubts? Do you radically prove yourself to us? Do you give us new roots not just new practices and habits, but new roots supported by habits. That we abide in you, we remain in you, we know your love, and we bear the fruit of loving one another. Amen.